Amen. Thank you, Keith. Man, that was, that was awesome. I love that, uh, that testimony. And um, kids are in the house today. We have children's church, by the way. I think you saw that announcement. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really honored to, um, to speak with you all this morning. Um, as Keith said, my name is Colt. I'm the associate pastor here, for those who don't know me. And, and I, I have a word that I feel like is, is really um, timely and is personal. And, and, I, and I really felt, even as we were in worship this morning, um, this, the tenderness of God like was in the worship today. I don't know if you, you felt that. I felt his gentleness, his tenderness. And, and he, wants to, he wants to speak and connect with every person in this room. He wants to speak and connect with every single person in this room, and on Zoom, and on YouTube, I won't forget you all. He wants to connect with your heart today. And, and, and so what I want to talk about today is, is the presence of God. And it's a core value um, of this house. And, and I think it's worth kind of expanding on to understand what is the presence of God, and, and how should we expect it. Um, when we're in these atmospheres, these environments, We'll talk about the presence. We'll, we'll feel a sense of the presence. But I want to kind of extrapolate what that is and what Scripture says about the presence of God and, and, what, and what it should look like in, in our everyday life. Um, because how many of you know the presence of God is not, it's not just found in church, right? Like it's not just found in a worship set. You, you might feel a stronger sense of God's presence in those moments. But it, it's not relegated to this place or that song or that worship leader. It, not at all. Like far be it from that. And I want to talk a little bit about, too, what it means to be people of the presence. So we talk about we're, we're, a pre, we're, we're about the presence. What does that mean for us to be, to be people of the presence? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into to all that this morning. Um, how many of you know that the Lord is in this room right now? That's an astounding thing. The God of the universe is in this room, and he's in your apartment wherever you're at, or house, wherever you are on Zoom or YouTube. He's there right now. And, and so when we think about the presence, I think it's really important to know that the presence is not an emotion. It's not just like something that, you know, that, that comes in waves. It's, it's a present reality of God's nearness, his, prox, his close proximity to his people. That's what the presence of God is. And I think we, when there's moments when you feel that so strongly, you feel his heart, you, you connect with him. And in those moments, then we say, oh, the presence of God. But the reality is because of Christ and his blood, we have full access to God. And the spirit of God lives and dwells in us. And so the presence of God is something that is readily available. It's just sometimes it's more, it's more felt and understood than in other moments. So, so I would propose to you that in a church environment, we may be feeling it at a higher level. But what we're experiencing in this room is, is something that we can have daily. And it's something that when you step out on the street, you can still feel it. It's not a moment and it's not a place and it's not a church. It's Jesus himself, and it's the spirit of God ultimately dwelling in inside, inside of each and every believer. That's good news. That's really good news. And, and so I'm all for church attendance, but you don't have to come to church to experience the presence of God. And in fact, if you are only coming to church and experiencing the presence of God, then, then me as your pastor, that's, I have a problem with that. Like, I don't want that for you or for me. And, that, and that's not sustainable. That you're not going to be salt and light in this culture, in this moment, with a presence that only comes on a, on a Sunday or only comes, or, or even on a playlist, right? Like we can, we can pursue the presence of God in so many different facets. And in COVID, we, you probably found other ways. <laughs> Maybe you found new ways to get his presence. And that's good. But what I'm saying is it's a continual thing. And I want, it to, I want to paint the picture that it's more than a moment and, it, and it's more than a church and it's more than an instance. It's a lifestyle of the presence. So I, I often think the biggest misunderstanding we have about the presence of God is how present God is. That's the biggest misunderstanding. I, um, growing up, I'm from Virginia, and I used to go fishing 
um, quite a bit with my, with my folks. So in the summers, we would go to a, Smith, a place called Smith Mountain Lake. And I was, a, you know, I was like five or six years old. I would wear my Superman glasses. And they were really cool. And they help you see the fish. You can look into the water and it's, and we would, we would fish for bass. I called them basters, which is sort of a cuss word, but not yet. Um, I was like, I'm going to catch those basters. Um, so that was, you know, I don't know. Maybe there were some people with loose lips around me. Like, that's where I got that. I don't know. But, but that's what I called them. And so I'd go out there, and I would fish all day long. And I would catch so many fish. Like, I'm telling you, I, had, I have pictures. I have, my, my parents have entire scrapbooks of all the fish I would catch. Let's take another picture. How about this one? I mean, no matter how big or small they were, I took a picture of them. And so at the end of my day, I would say, gosh, I'm, I'm such a good fisherman. And, and I would tell people about my fishing excursions and how talented I was. And, um, and yeah, that was just a kind of an everyday summer experience for me. And years later, you know, now that I'm a dad, I've got three little kids. And, you know, you take them fishing and you realize, oh, wow, like, really, dad does all the fishing. And the kids just bring in, you know, bring in the fish. Like, literally, your job as a kid is to crank. And, and so I was like, wow, like, my dad, he got the worms. He put them on my hook. He cast half of the time or showed me where to cast. He would set the hook sometimes, and then I would reel the fish in. And I said, gosh, I'm a champion. I'm amazing. I'm crushing it. But how many of you know is really my dad doing the fishing, I just got to benefit from his presence, and I didn't even think about it, didn't even recognize the presence of my father in my fishing excursion. See, some of us, we can be so successful, we can do things, and we think we're amazing. And, and, and we are in some sense, but there's, his presence is actually guiding and directing us, and we don't even know it. And, and we'll get, and we'll, we'll talk up all the stuff that we're doing, and not realizing that he's actually gone before us. <laughs> The presence of God and his counsel has gone before us and in us, and, and we're just, we're benefiting from it, and we have no clue. Now, on the flip side, we, we can go through really challenging things, really hard things. And when we don't feel the presence or connect, connection of God, it can be devastating. And I know many of you can, can relate with me on this. Maybe in this past season, you're going through something hard, and you're saying, like, God, I'm not feeling you yet. You don't feel, I, don't, I can't connect with you. And, and many of us, too, we have childhood traumas that, I don't know the percentage, right, but I would say maybe, maybe 60% or more of these, of these traumas we dealt with were the lack of somebody being present in our life. Whether that's physical or emotional, it's an absence of a person that has led to a trauma and a hurt and a pain in our life. And so if that's true of physical people, how much more is it true when we feel our Heavenly Father is not present or connected to us? These things, they, they hurt us to the core. And, and ultimately, once again, it's about the proximity of God. Is he near or is he not? Is he here or is he distant? Now, some of you I know you've gone through like inner healing, and I have personally myself. Um, so if you've been in an inner healing session, sometimes what they'll do is they'll ask a question. They'll say like, you go back to typically a challenging moment in your life, and they'll say, where was Jesus in that moment? Like, where was he in whatever scenario that you're dealing with? And some people have a hard time with that, and, and you know, they'll be like, well, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, uh, so I don't know what you're talking about. Because you know? <laughs> some, some of us are more literal, so we're like, I don't know where Jesus, i tell you where Jesus is. Um, but, but I find that exercise to be so helpful, and it's been helpful for me personally, because when you bring the Lord in to these seasons and you ask, Jesus, where are you in this moment, in this, in this situation, and then you see his eyes were on you. You see his ears, as, as um, Keith just mentioned, were attentive to your prayers. And he shows you he was present in that season, even though it felt totally opposite. And you were believing, you know, lies about where he was in that moment. So I find that that can be a really, a really helpful exercise because it reminds us that he's present, that he's near. And if you haven't done that, I really would encourage you, get, get with somebody that, you know, that you trust and that hears from the Lord. And just ask the Lord, where were you in these seasons? Show me. Just give me a picture. And, and he'll, he'll show you his, his closeness even in your worst moments. Um, even when you were, you know, not wanting God to be near, he was there. And, and so I, I tell you that from, from personal experience and things that I've dealt with 
and prayers that I prayed and how Jesus opened my eyes to his, his nearness in those moments. So God's, his, his continual pursuit of, his, of us and his continual outpouring of his presence say a lot about who he is. You can't overstate God's desire to be near and close to his people, to, to pour out his presence on the earth and specifically on us, on sons and daughters. You can't overstate it. And I, I'm going to take you today, I want to go through Genesis to Revelation, every single chapter. No, not everyone. But I want to go through and I want to, we're going to be here all day. Um, I want to pinpoint these different moments where we see the presence of God and, in, and I'm, I'm painting a narrative, I'll tell you right now before I paint it, of God's continual pursuit of your and my heart. And his presence is real and tangible and it's progressively moving on the earth. And it, and it happened right in the beginning. So we're going to jump in. Um, we're going to jump into Genesis 3 uh, starting at verse 8. And so Genesis 3 starting at verse 8. Um, the first section I'm going to call this God's presence in the garden. God's presence in the garden. So, as I'm saying, the whole narrative of Scripture is the presence of God, like, really invading earth. And it started in the garden. And you see in Genesis 3.8, I'll read it. And they heard the sound of the Lord, Adam and Eve, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, some, when you hear different people talk about this text, one of the interesting things is it, there's an assumption that this is something they would do with the Lord. They would walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. The presence of the Lord was in the Garden of Eden, and they would enjoy it. Now, on this particular day, Adam and Eve have sinned, and the presence of God comes. God comes to walk with them, and what, what, what happens? It says they hid from his presence. They hid from the presence of God, and from that moment on, all of humanity, most or every person at some juncture has attempted to hide from God. The wages of sin is death, that the... the guilt, the condemnation of sin, and we are, our temptation is to run and hide from God's presence. But we know that before this took place, they were in this communion with God. They were in this daily walking with him. And so now it's been severed because of the sin that's entered their heart. But the original intent is communion, is for his presence to dwell with his people. And so eventually they get kicked out of the garden because of the, you know, this, this situation. And it, it begins this storyline of God reaching out, coming back, reestablishing his presence with humanity. So it begins this whole storyline of God taking things back. But the beauty of it is, and you'll see when we get to the book of Revelation, he takes things back and he restores them and makes the relationship with men better than it was before. He takes what's been lost and what's been, and what's been really um, you know, given away by man. And he says, you know what, even in your sin, even in your missteps, even in your faults and failures, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to make our connection deeper. And more intimate. I'm going to come. I'm going to dwell in your midst. Just like before. But it's going to be even better. How redemptive and restorative is this God we serve? You can't get enough of this stuff. Um, number two. So number one, God's presence in the garden. Number two, God's presence in the tabernacle and the temple. Now this one's pretty fun. So, um, so Vanessa and I, when we got married, my wife and I have been married ten years. When we first got married, we moved into this little apartment. And, and I can remember, uh, you know, Vanessa, she's designing everything, and I'm just, you know, like, what, do you, what would you like, honey? You want to put this here? Okay, great. You know, we'll, we'll do this. And so we're getting the apartment ready, and there's a moment when Vanessa looks over and she says, hey, like, uh, whose stuff is all this? And I say, hey, baby, it's my stuff. Like, I'm moving in. You know, we, we just did this covenant thing, and now I'm moving in, and I, I have stuff. Like, I'm a person. And, uh, and so she said, oh, oh, okay. And, and so wouldn't you know, you know, maybe like two weeks later, all that stuff was in the trash. Like, <laughs> I mean, I had a little hoarding issue at the time. I was delivered. Um, but, you know, let's be real. Like, like, Vanessa wasn't realizing when she formed a covenant, when she got into a covenant, she wasn't realizing, oh, this means this guy's coming into my house and all this stuff is coming with him. So I want to propose to you, when you got into a covenant with the living God, when the blood of Christ, when you, when you received it, and you received him, and you received his spirit, his spirit came and made a home in you. And some of you didn't even know at the time that that was going on. 
I didn't. <laughs> I got saved and didn't realize the Holy Spirit had come into my house. And now all of a sudden, it, it can be a bit confusing when all of a sudden your desires start changing and things you used to do, now you're feeling conviction for because the Holy Spirit's moved into your house. But he hasn't moved in just to convict you. He's moved in to comfort you. He's moved in to establish you. He's moved in to build you up. And so, so we, can, we can, when we come in, into the kingdom, we don't realize the closeness, the presence of God. We can get used to an inferior relationship with God. And, and it's nobody's fault. It's maybe we weren't taught it or we didn't experience that intimacy when we got saved. But we have to rethink how we connect with him. Because he's that close. And, and we can engage with his heart. And I know some of you even come into this church in this environment and you, you see certain things and you start to hear his voice. And I want to encourage you, press into that because you can hear his voice. And somewhere along the line, either you told yourself or somebody's told you, now you can't hear him or that's, that's very presumptuous. And, and, and certainly it could be hearing the voice of God. But your most, one of the most important things that you have for this present moment is the voice of God. It's his presence in your life. And I would encourage you, don't let the past or what you believe steal that from you. Because it is going to allow you to fulfill the calling and purpose of God on your life. And, and, and so, so, he, so the covenant. Um, the covenant that we have with God. I wanna, I wanna, I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus 26 uh, is, the, is the Old Testament covenant. And even in that covenant, here's three points of the covenant. I love this. Here's three points that God says um, to the Israelites. He says, one, I will be your God. Two, you will be my people. Three, I will dwell in your midst. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. This is part of the covenant. This establishes that what God said, he, he's fulfilling. The, the promise is his presence, starting even in the old covenant. So I'm, I'm going to read on, uh, I'm going to read on Exodus 40 starting at verse 33, and I want to read about God delivering on his covenant promise to the Israelites. So it's when Moses sets up the tabernacle, starting at verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and he put a curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Now, mind you, this took a ton of time. Like, there's very specific details that God gave Moses to fulfill in order to create this tabernacle, which was going to be, have this tent of meeting in this place where he could dwell and he could connect with his people. A fulfillment of the covenant I just read to you. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. There's God fulfilling his covenant. What God says he will do. And, and he's not a man that he would lie, the son of man that he would change his mind. And so I love how he backs up the covenant with his presence tangible presence in the tabernacle, and this is how they lived. They lived by the presence of God. If, if the cloud moves, they move. And if it gets dark, well, there's the fire. Like they're, they're, not, they're never disconnected from the presence of God. And this is an Old Testament reality. How much more so can we live in this in the New Testament with the Spirit of God dwelling in us? So, so God's presence was in the garden, right? And then they had to, he had to leave. Like they, they were separated. Now you see the presence of God starting to invade the earth and it's coming on the tabernacle to a small group of people. But it's, this is a progressive build, all right? So as, as time goes on, King Solomon comes along. King Solomon builds a temple for the Lord. And so I want to I read just briefly um, what happens when they take the Ark of the Covenant into that temple, all right? So this is 1 Kings 8, uh, verse, starting at verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud, here it is again, filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the Lord, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Isn't that interesting that in both situations, the glory of the Lord comes and it's like a cloud and people can't do anything else? 
<laughs> like Moses can't even go to the tent of meeting. And that's the point of the tent of meeting. You know, the priests, they're, they're there to minister before the Lord. They can't even minister before the Lord because when his presence come in, it's a consuming fire. And we, we were singing that. It's a consuming fire. That's one of the reasons I think the presence of God is so challenging for us in our Western worldview. Because if you invite the presence of God in, what if he comes in and does things differently than, than you thought he was going to do? And I'm not just talking about church. Yes, church, but how about your life? You know, how, about, how about your family? How about your job? How about your de- the, the, the intimate decisions that you make? If you invite the Lord in, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? Well, he's a good and loving father, so we need to start there. But, but it is. It's, it's, the reality is when his presence comes, it can be quite disruptive. So I, I think it's really interesting that you have, you know, the, the tabernacle and the presence there, the temple and the presence is there. But then in the book of Ezekiel, you see that when the Babylonians come and the Babylonians invaded um, Judah and they, and they exiled the people to Babylon. And when, before they come, Ezekiel says he sees the presence of God lift from the temple. And so the presence of God is no longer there protecting and guiding Israel. And what happens? The Babylonians come and, and, and take them off according to prophecy and, um, that was foretold. So, so the presence leaves. But how many of you know, then after I don't know, how many hundreds of years or 70 years, they come back and the people of God reestablish the temple. Now, there's no recording of the presence of God filling that temple. Isn't that interesting? So you have a temple and it's built and it's there, but there's no record of God's presence, the cloud or any of that coming on that temple. Not only that, during that time, because there's no temple, the synagogues start popping up. So there's... I think there's something like 400 synagogues in and around Jerusalem that were, that were built and they were, had synagogues in, in Babylon. Now, a synagogue, you know, they're reading the Torah. They're, they're, they're seeking out the Lord in some sense, right? But what's missing? The presence is not in a synagogue. And, and so you wonder, like, where, you know, what, what happened to the Jewish nation, like, in that season where now the presence of God is not a constant reality. And their livelihood and their culture are built around synagogues, but God's presence is not there. And, it, and it's more teaching and, and talking about the word and talking about God, but they're talking about a God that is not in their midst. I think we can relate to this in the modern era. I think we can relate to, in our churches, in our homes, talking, praying, doing things. But do we believe God's in the room? Do we believe his presence is real and tangible and here? You know, there's this book that I read recently by uh, J. Daniel Hayes. It's called The Temple and the Tabernacle. And he makes a case of how modern-day um, churches can relate to previous day synagogues and, and, and how we've lost that sense of the presence of God being with us. And, and I find it really, really profound. And, and I would even add that um, how much more is it important that we keep that sense in our homes, in our families, in our businesses. So let's not relegate this to like to church. Like let's again, we want to live a presence lifestyle. And, and so, you know, and I think this even relates to what Richie was talking about last week a bit, talking about being a student versus being a disciple and just being re- really learned and educated in the scriptures versus being like following Jesus and, and being discipled by him and doing the things that he's called us to do. And I don't think you can do that if you're just a student of the Lord and not actually engaged with his heart in his presence. And so it creates a very agitating lifestyle. Um, if it's just a bunch of knowledge that you can't apply, you don't have the Holy Spirit, a connection with the Spirit, to actually go forth and, and do the things Jesus called you to do. Um, and I think many have been frustrated by that lifestyle and perhaps have walked away from the church because they don't think it's real. Um, but really they, they haven't learned the presence of God and how to connect with it and the accessibility of it and their hearts have become hardened. I think that's somebody in the room. That's not in my notes. Um, I think there's somebody in the room where that's, that's what God wants to speak to you today. Your heart's been hardened because you didn't see certain things, but he's saying, I want to reconnect with your heart. How much more do I want to speak to you? Um, I'll share this story real quick. 
So, because this is for you, whoever that person, maybe it's multiple people. This is for you, okay? So, when I drop my daughter off at school every day, or five days a week, when I drop her off, I can, I, I, I'm thinking about her all day. Like, I cannot wait to go see that little kindergartner and pick her up and see her smiling face and grab a hold of her and hug her close. I can't wait. I long for it all day long. How much more so does your heavenly father long to, to connect with you? And you've been gone all day. Maybe you've been gone, maybe you've been gone more than a day. And he's saying, I want to connect with you today. I want to connect with your heart. I'm telling you, there's, there's people here and the Holy Spirit is moving on this word. And you need to come up here at the end. Um, you need to come up um, because you're, you're going to feel this tangible presence in a way you've never felt. Maybe you have, but I, I think it will be more than, than you felt before. Um, okay, so I got a little sidetracked. But g- going back here, so... So how do we apply some of these principles of the presence, right? I'm very applicable. I like application. Um, so when uh, my wife and I, we, uh, one thing that we've tried to do with our kids, because we want the presence to be available or we want to understand it in our homes, right? Like not just in our churches. And so with our kids, when uh, Vanessa started doing this, when we put our kids to bed, how many of you know there's like some like really, really uh, odd children's prayers out there? Like so, so one of them, and you know, I, I'm very familiar with it, it's like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And it like, it sounds all right. Like it rhymes, but it's kind of scary. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Lord, like if I go tonight, please be with me. Like, please don't, you know, d- you know, don't send me to, to Hades. Like, and so it, it's like, it's kind of a distant feeling prayer. Now, I don't know who wrote it. I'm not saying that it's, you're terrible for praying. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying it's kind of weird. Um, so... So anyway, uh, in, in contrast, one of the things Vanessa was doing with the girls, um, which I wasn't doing, it was her idea, not mine, but um, it was a good idea. So she was saying, why don't we take each night, how about we come and we take our burdens to Jesus? And so she, you know, quotes the scripture in Matthew about bringing your burdens, you casting your cares before the Lord, she quotes First Peter. And then they come, and I, I started doing it with them, and we'll just say, you know, we'll put our hands out and we'll just, we'll say the things, whatever burden we're feeling in that moment, and, and then we'll go and we'll throw them up and we'll give them to Jesus. And it's a recognition that he's in the room and that he can handle our burdens. And you literally feel it lift off of you. When you give it to him, you know it's like, boom, got it. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I got you. And so it's a different way of living. And, it, and so I want to encourage you, take a step today. And you don't have to have kids to do this, right? Get your roommates together and do the burden thing. Or, you know, like find some way like to start saying, God, I know you're present in this place, in this apartment, and I want to engage with you and not pray to you as like you're distant. All right, so number, th- number three, um, God's presence in the New Testament. Now, this is where it gets really good. Um, I mean, it's all good up to here, but it gets really good now. So Jesus himself is the fulfillment of God's promise for his presence to come, right? Jesus is the incarnation. He, he is, he's the, he is God in flesh. And, and he himself is a, is a statement to God or to us of God's care and his desire to be near. I mean, it's, it's amazing that God puts on flesh and comes down and connects with humanity. It, this is astounding. Like, we, we just get so used to talking about it, but it, it's wild. Um, so the presence of God is void of the temp, from the temple for 600 plus years at this point. The Babylonians have invaded 600 years later. And Mary and Joseph come with baby Jesus, little infant Jesus, and they bring him into the temple. And that's the first time in 600 years that the actual presence of God has been in that temple. Isn't that wild? And, and so it's, it's, it's insane. It's profound. It's beautiful. But only like two people actually knew it. <laughs> like, you know, you have, the, you have these few people that are in the temple that pick up on this. And, but most of the people, they're just they're going about their religious duties. Like they're doing the synagogue thing instead of the temple thing. And they don't recognize the presence of God has actually come back in the temple. And it's a baby. And, and so it's, it, it surprises them. But how, how profound is that, that that's how God decided to bring the presence back into the temple through Jesus? 
So I want to read from uh, John uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 14. And this is about Jesus being the incarnation, the presence of God um, in a body. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling, made his dwelling. That, that, the word's also, um, uh, the Greek, it, you can also call it like tabernacle or habitation. He, he made it, like, and it's used in connection with like the actual tabernacle. So Jesus is the new temple. He is the tabernacle now coming, dwelling in our midst. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God testified concerning him. He said, crying out, saying, the one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of, the, out of his fullness, we all have received grace in place of grace already given. Now the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. He makes him known because he's in closest relationship with him. He's in continual connection. He is God, but he's also in connection with his father. And he only does what he sees his father doing. So how can we possibly fulfill the work of God in our life without that intimate presence of God? Jesus was a presence, but he also lived it in connection with his father. It, it, it's profound stuff. It, it, it's, you think of all the years Jesus was living in this presence with God, even 30 plus more years even when he's not doing miracles, he is in the presence with his father. In the mundane, when he's a carpenter, when he's doing, you know, the, the trade of his earthly father, he's still in the presence of his heavenly father. And so I hope that gives you encouragement, not like, oh, boy, Jesus did it. How am I going to do it? No, like, we can, we can walk in this level of intimacy. We really can. Um, and Jesus modeled it for us to show us that we can. Um, I want to go to John 2. And, and this relates to, the, to Jesus being our new, our new temple. Um, our, the, the tabernacle of old is now Jesus Christ himself in his physical body. All right. Um, G John 2, starting at verse 16. To those who sold doves. And this is Jesus going into Jerusalem, into the temple, during Passover, right before, right before he's crucified. So that's the context here. And John decides to put this right at the beginning. He's making a point right at the beginning of his gospel. John 2, verse 16. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build a temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. He's speaking in, in different terms <laughs> because he himself is the new temple. And, and the temple was the place where heaven and earth came together. It was the place that you were to commune with God. And Jesus saying, there's a new temple and it's my body. And I'm going to raise it in three days and, and the world will see that there is now a stairway between heaven and earth and it's on Jesus. Just as, um, as the, the dream in Jacob has, the, the stairway to heaven, it's Jesus himself. It's Jesus he shows us the way to the Father, and he is the presence of God invading the world. And what he started, the Holy Spirit is now continuing to do in the present age. So I'll jump into that um, in my next section here. But there was something else I wanted to, I wanted to highlight. Let's jump, into, let's jump into that. So, so the Holy Spirit, I want to read Ephesians 2, starting at verse 13. Um, so, so Jesus says in, in John, he says, I'm going to go, but guess what? This is good. The advocate's coming. The, the comforter is going to come. And it's going to be better for you that I go. And they're like, what? Jesus, you can't leave us? Like, that's, this is insane. And he says, no, you're going to want this other guy. Trust me. Like, it's, it's going to be amazing. And he says, he says, I leave you with peace. I'm reading uh, John 14. Um, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So he's encouraging them. The Holy Spirit's coming, and you're not going to have to be afraid. And you're going to have peace. And, you, and don't worry. Don't fear, even though I'm leaving. And so he's setting up for the Spirit of God to come and indwell his disciples. And they don't understand that it's so important and that it's going to be so great. They, they have no context for it, which I wouldn't either if I was alive then. 
So I want to read um, from Ephesians 2. And we see now the presence of God is indwelling believers. In Ephesians 2, Paul is writing and he's talking about the Gentile and the Jew coming together. And this one man in Christ by the blood of Jesus is now becoming this dwelling place for God. So we in ourselves, and because the Holy Spirit's in us, we are a dwelling place. But there's something about when we come together, the unity of brothers and sisters, that there's, there's an outpouring, there's an intensity, there's an increase in the presence of God. So Ephesians 2, 13, I'm going to read that real quick. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking to the Gentiles. You were once far, but now you're near. And here's, here's the result. Ephesians 2, 21 through 22. In him, that's Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, in him, Jew and Gentile come together, become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. This is good news. This is good news. If, if we're a dwelling place for the spirit, can you imagine what's possible in the dwelling place where God resides? What is possible in that place? You know, we, we think about these holy places or a church or these, but we are a dwelling place. When we come together, we, we form the dwelling place of the spirit. And so these moments, these, I mean, we've been seeing quite a, the past three or four times we've gathered in this space, we've seen people healed every time. I've gotten testimonies the last three, four weeks of people healed. Some of those people got prayed for. Some of those people didn't get prayed for. They were just here. And how many of you know, if the Lord is dwelling and moving, like he will touch people. You don't have to ask for it. I mean, I've heard stories of touch people that don't even want it. Like, <laughs> now that's a whole other thing. I won't unpack that theology. But, but, but he's moving in our midst because he's in our, he's in our communion. He's in our fellowship and we have fellowship with him. And so it's a really precious thing. And, and I believe the people of the presence, and that's who we are in this church, we're people of the presence. We have the capacity to believe for the impossible because we're about his presence. We understand that if he's in the room, anything could happen. Any body could get touched. Any it, trauma, generational curses, you name it, can get broken like that. Not because we've got great worship, not because we've got anointed people, but because the king of glory is in the room. That, that's why. And, and, and so I really believe that presence people are, are going to transform this city be, because of that awareness. And, and, and certainly the empowerment of the spirit is really more about his spirit is here. <laughs> that's the empowerment component. Um, so I do think we have an issue sometimes where we think the presence of God is we think to know his presence is in the room, we need some sort of like paranormal activity. It's like, like we need something real crazy like to happen. And, and sometimes I think we can get in the habit of you see that happen, right? You're in a meeting and something crazy happens. Like I, I, I'm crazy, I mean like a good sense. Like somebody gets like, you know, the Holy Spirit overwhelms them and they fall down and like and they get healed. And you're like, that's amazing. And so we think when we see that, we know the presence of God's in the room. But that's not really our gauge. Like, I think we should expect supernatural experiences in the presence. And we should expect that if we come into contact with God, there's going to be a sign. There's going to be some form of transformation. But if we think it's just, if we're just looking for supernatural sort of signals to define the presence, then we might miss the presence. Because <laughs> it will come in different ways. And sometimes it will feel like the fear of the Lord, the holiness of God. Sometimes you'll get really loud and excited and exuberant. Sometimes you get really soft and really quiet. And we have to learn, people of the presence learn that God, his presence will come and feel different ways. And so I want to encourage you in this place, like some of you are, are brand new, you haven't been around that long. Just because you see certain expressions in people, whether it's worship, like you need to go with what, what the Lord's doing in you. Like we don't want to build some culture that's outside of what God's doing on a person. We want to, and, and Friday nights, I really encourage you to come out this coming Friday. Friday nights, we're really like seeking the Lord for two hours, and we're not trying to get to some crescendo moment. We are trying to tap into what the Spirit of God is saying and doing and be sensitive to it. And it looks different every time. And so that's the beauty of God almost drawing us in because it doesn't look the same every time. And, and so he's like, you got to seek me. you got to hear me. 
because I want to do something, but it doesn't always look the same. And so we don't want to get dogmatic about how the Spirit moves and when the presence of God is in the room or when he's not. But we should look for fruits. We should look for fruit. You know, fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That Those things manifest, don't always manifest in a crazy way. Right? Oh, I got the spirit of self-control. Like now I'm shaking on the floor because I got the spirit of self-control. No, nah, like that. <laughs> but those are real fruits of the spirit. That's a gauge if the spirit of God has come on you, if you have one of those fruits. So it's, we don't want to get overly charismatic in our view of the presence of God moving on a people. Um, all right, last point. God's presence is God's presence in the future. So we've talked about God's presence um, in the New Testament, we've talked about it in, in Genesis, um, in the garden. We've talked about the tabernacle and temple. Now we're going to talk about it in the future. This is the one we miss sometimes. You know, Justin and I are doing the book of Revelation class. And it's, it's crazy how much we don't see what God's picture really is. Like, where is he going with all this present stuff? Like, is it just, are we in the pinnacle now with the Holy Spirit in us? No, like, there's something greater coming. And the reason it's so important to know is because when you know that, you know the heart of God. When you know that he wants to make the, he wants to fill the earth with his glory and that he wants to touch every single person and every single part of this planet, that changes how you view God. And that, that makes you excited. That makes you hopeful. Um, even when you don't see the things that you want to see. So um, God's presence in the future. Um, Revelation 21. I'm going to read this briefly. Revelation 21 starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there, were no longer, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's, there's that word again, dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. There's the covenant. But now it's richer. Now it's deeper. And now the whole earth, is, is, it's a new earth and a new heaven. Isn't that cool? Well, he, he goes back to the old covenant, but now it's different and it's new and it's richer. And it's more exciting because we're all with the Lord in one place. And so I'll get to that. I'm getting very excited, so i got to calm down. Um, then they will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm going to jump to verse 22 through 25. I did not see a temple in this city. This is the new Jerusalem. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. We talk about connection, proximity. He's, you don't even need the sun anymore. Like you've got the lamb, the glory of God. The nations will walk by light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. No, on no day will its gates ever be shut. Or, would there, or, or there will be no night there. Worship team, could you guys come up for me? I mean, this is profound stuff. That the, the world that God is creating and that we get to be a part of, even in the present form of this new heaven, new earth. And if you're like, Colt, I have no concept for that, that's okay. Like, you're like, I don't even understand what that's talking about. Come to the Revelation class. Um, but, like, this is where things are going. And it shows you his desire for presence and closeness with his people. So I want to read uh, just a few things. Uh, these are five traits I came up with, five traits of presence people. So I'm using that term. I'm saying we are, we are presence people. We're a presence company. So here's five traits that I expect um, presence people to have, all right? Presence people come to church to experience the presence of God, but they come with the presence of God. So when you're on the train, you're like, man, I can't wait for the presence and the presence is with me. And I'm bringing a part of that. Like, Kevin and Hannah and all of them, they're going to bring it, but I'm bringing my part. Like, I'm coming. I'm coming to give and receive. Presence people aren't enamored with the church culture, programs, denominations, or streams. Their loyalty and their fascination 
is in Jesus and Jesus alone. This is really important. And I talked about it within church, but you can, I mean, you can talk about politics. You can talk about any of these topics. We need to be more enamored with Jesus. More enamored with him. And, and, and it's kind of weird when people are more excited about their church than they are about Jesus. It's like, that's weird. Like, I don't get that. Um, <laughs> like, I think church is great, but, like, he's why it's great. Um, all right, number three. Presence people don't have to hide who they are. They are known by God and can make themselves known to others. We want to create a culture and environment here in this house where if you're coming in you're having a bad day and your life just sucks and it's falling apart, you can come here and be undone. Come here and, come here and ball your eyes out. Like, do it. Because we need, because God's presence is in this place and he's not afraid of our emotions. He's not challenged. He, he's not gonna, his presence is not going to leave because you had a bad day and because you're being, you know, like me sometimes, irrational, you know. <laughs> I, I tell you, when I, sometimes when I get undone, I feel so irrational, but I know God's like, come to me, come to me, it's good. And so we want a culture where you can come and the pres- you know the presence of God's here and people are going to love you right where you're at. And, and so that, those are people of presence. Um, presence people do not disregard the word of God. They love and rely on the word of God because his presence doesn't replace a desire for the word. It fuels it. Really important point. I don't like it when people say, oh, these presence people are separate from the word. The, the two things do not have to be separate. And I, I know that that's been the case in certain circles or people or you name it, but not in this house. Like, we love the word and our, and the, our love for the presence and the word, they, it, it all coincides. Everything I share with you today, by the way, is in the word. How do I know his presence is here? Because the word of God tells me. <laughs> not because I feel it, and I, sometimes I do, but when I don't, the word of God tells me his presence is in me. And it's so important for our growth in the Lord. Last point, presence people honor the variety of ways their brothers and sisters encounter the presence of God. I'm going to say that one again. Presence people, what did I even say? Presence people <laughs> honor the variety of the ways their brothers and sisters encounter the presence of God. As I said, the presence, it can look, it can look different. And different people have different um, inclinations, different ways they connect with the Lord. And so I want to name a few real quick before, before we close. Because I think it's so important that we honor how each other, if we're presence people, then, then we, want, we, we want to understand how our brothers and sisters connect with the Father. And we want to ensure that they do. We want to we want to encourage them to grow in their specific ways of encountering His presence. So I'll give you an example, and this is these are ones um, the professor at um, Dr. Ron Walburn from Alliance Theological Seminary. He he put these out these spiritual instincts, and I, I, I simplified them a bit, but I think these are helpful to understanding how we how different people connect with the presence of God, and it's different for different people. So there's seven ways different people connect with the presence. Number one, beauty. And order, architecture, artwork, liturgy, things that are orderly and beautiful, these beautiful cathedrals. Some people, when they see those things, they, they, get, they start to encounter the Lord. It, it, it does something in them. So that's what we'll call it. They call that the, the aesthetic um, person. Um, so all of these, by the way, you could have all of them. And, but some of them you're going to be more, more likely to um, be more who you are. Um, Second way you connect with the presence of God, through worship, through emotional, experiential connection. That's often what we're doing here on a Sunday. It's one facet, but many of you here are drawn to this place because you connect with the Lord in that place. But there's different people that experience Him differently. All right, the next one, serving, transformation, change. These are like the activists. You connect with God by going, moving, seeing things shift, by, by, you know, Maybe it's serving the poor. Maybe it's, maybe it's moving stuff in culture. You connect with God in those moments. That's you connecting with the presence of God. Four, quiet and simple life. Prayer, contemplative. There's some of you that are, that, that's your thing. You're, you're prayer warriors. You're, you're about quiet. You experience him in the quietness. Five, study, seeking the scriptures, understanding the word, digging into it intellectually, taking it in. People experience the Lord. So, so many people in that way. Six, relationships. When you get around people, you get on groups of people, you touch the heart of God. 
you know, women's group goes for three or four hours. This is relational communion with God. <laughs> I've never been there, but I'm telling you, that's probably what they're doing. I hope so. Um, last one, nature. Connecting with the Lord through nature. Boy, we avoided this one. Some of you got to get out of the city more and go into the woods because that's where you commune with your father. So my point is there's all these different ways that we commune with him. And we want to honor how each person experienced the presence instead of saying, oh, you need to experience the presence this way because this is my way. No, like we're a family. And it's our goal and our job to connect with the Father and lead one another into that intimacy. Could everybody stand for me, please? Probably could close their eyes. Father God, I, I thank you for your presence today in this room. And I honor, Lord, what you're doing in different people. And I want to just pray right now for those of you that maybe you connect with God differently than this church culture does or than, than maybe your family culture does. And I want to just honor you for how the Lord connects with your heart. And I want to encourage you to press into his heart in those areas, in those places. And Holy Spirit, we just, we welcome you to come and, and touch our emotions today. I feel like there's, there's some of us here too where we haven't allowed God to touch our emotions. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, the Lord wants to, he wants to touch your emotions. He wants, he wants to to fill you with fresh passion. And I feel like the, the passion for the Lord has waned because you're emotionally kind of cut off and disconnected. So I pray right now for those of you in the room where you're, you feel emotionally disconnected. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and awaken. Awaken their desire for you. Let them know your desire for them. Awaken right now. Awaken right now. Awaken right now. If that's you, put your hand on your, on your, on your heart. Say, awaken, soul, awaken. Awaken to the presence of God. Awaken to the touch of the Spirit. And I pray right now, too, that there's a, a hunger for the Word of God. If you're having a hard time reading the Scriptures, if the Word of God feels dead and dull to you, I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and stir, stir a love, a love for the Spirit, a love for Jesus through the Word. Come and let the pages come alive again. Let the pages come alive again. Let them drip with delight. Let them drip with delight of your presence. Lord, I pray that their time reading the Word would be rich and full, and that you'd fill the places that they read. You'd fill the places that are void in their heart. And we're just gonna, we're gonna go into a time of worship. I wanna encourage you, if that was you earlier on when we were talking about the, um, I don't even know what we are talking about, but that thing that we were talking about, if that was you, I want you to come up here because um, God wants to awaken a well in you. All right, let's worship.